Brothers and sisters in recovery, mental health champions, and welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I'm not a licensed healthcare professional. Not a doctor, not a counselor. No, I'm a guy with 1,233 days of sobriety, and I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. Folks, I am spoiled rotten to have on the podcast Miss Katie Mack. It, I don't know where to begin with her resume. She's the creator of the incredible podcast, Fucking Sober. She's an Iron Woman, a personal trainer. She's an actor, a producer, director, right? It's an insane resume. And she is just bursting with this positive energy and a depth of knowledge in the area of recovery as she herself is nearly three years clean. I'm so grateful to have Miss Katie Mack on the podcast, and it's so dope that you guys are here to listen. I'm looking out the window, and as always, it's a beautiful day for us to get our 40,000 steps in. So let's get it. All right, so this conversation almost didn't happen. If you've been listening to the podcast of late, you know that I am a bit underwater. Got a few too many projects going on at once right now. And I I ran into some technical issues leading up to my conversation with Mac. And, you know, my my knee jerk, you know, part of this is fueled by this ongoing discussion of, We need to mind our barriers. We need to know when to say it's okay to not be okay. We need to know when we have to slow down. But here's the reality of it. So my knee jerk is like, oh, maybe we should postpone. Maybe I need to take care of myself. Maybe I need to take some space. But if I had punked out, punked out isn't the right term. If, If I had allowed the technical issues to postpone the podcast, I would have been fucking miserable for that hour or so that I was supposed to spend talking to Mac. First off, I would <laughs> I knew going into this conversation that it was going to be incredibly brilliant. Uh, but then there's also just that feeling of like when you have to postpone an appointment and then you sit there and you're like, okay, I'm supposed to be taking care of myself, but I'm also supposed to be doing a thing. Like for me, if I don't keep doing the things, it's actually detrimental to my mental health. And look, every case is different. Every person is different. Every circumstance is different. And I did postpone a couple of appointments last week because I was just leveled and did not feel capable of of going through with those work appointments. But, you know, Katie and I get toward the end of our conversation and we talk about the fact that if you're on the fence, if you're thinking about doing the thing, you're thinking about bailing on the thing. If you're on the fence, choose to do the thing. Just choose to do the thing. You don't have to do it perfectly. And look, this was not the greatest interview that I conducted because I was pretty leveled. But the beauty of it is that Katie Mack is a goddamn firecracker and she took the wheel, baby. <laughs> so good. And you know what? I want to point out one other thing about our conversation before I get out of the way and flip it over to our chat is, you know, I admire Mac so very much for all the things that she does. I love the fact that she doesn't pull any punches. I know that I like that she's outspoken on important issues like I, I just I can't even stand to bring it up at the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But I love that she spreads love and encouragement. When we when we were talking for a moment about you know triathlons and the 50k I ran last year, and she was talking about how amazing that is. She said, "You're so cool." And my knee jerk was to like you know it's hard for me to take compliments, 
But ultimately, I went back, you know, and I listened to the conversation and God damn, it feels good to hear someone else who's doing extraordinary things for them to say that they admire what I'm doing. And this brings to mind that I, <laughs> I don't have any delusions of grandeur with this podcast. I see everything that I'm doing in the area of advocacy as trying to pull on the rope in the same direction as all the other people who are advocating for breaking stigma, increasing access to mental health care, normalizing conversations around these tough to talk about things. And I really am just like basking this morning in the idea that when we lift each other up, when Max says that she admires me, what is the phrase? A riding tide lifts all ships. The collaboration and the love in this recovery community is just, I'm getting, I'm getting all misty right now just talking about it. It's such an incredible place. There's no other place like this recovery crowd. Another notable thing about Ms. Katie Mack, and this is why I wanted to talk to her, this, that's why this is timely, is that for all this amazing stuff that she's been doing, and she's been doing a lot of it for many years, it was about five years ago that she was a, uh, she was a cast member in This Is My Brave, a show where locals take the stage and they share their stories about battling and triumphing over mental illness. That show gave her such a sense of community, such a feeling of liberation that it's really just powered a lot of the things that she does today in the mental health realm. And we are having a show of our own on October 13th in DeKalb, Illinois. You should check out This Is My Brave, the show in DeKalb on Facebook. You should get tickets at theegyptiantheater.org. That's the theater in DeKalb, Illinois. It's a beautiful venue got an amazing cast. So if you're local, even if you live, even if you live, you know, a few dozen miles away or a hundred miles away, I don't think there's another show within like, I don't know, maybe 200 miles of ours. And it's going to be brilliant. So get some tickets. It's, it's, it's going to be an incredible performance. So before I get into that conversation, I want to pump up a sponsor of the podcast. These folks do incredible work with sustainably sourced athletic apparel. It's Bamboo Works. You know I'm an anxious person. Well, I'm really worried about my good friend, Mother Earth. And that's why I love Bamboo Works. Bamboo Works creates stylish, sustainably made, high-quality sports apparel. Headbands, wristbands, gaiters, beanies, even performance masks. The wristbands, they've got this pocket where you can put your ID or frozen gel packs. Bamboo Works does more than athletic apparel. You gotta check out their amazing trucker hat. It's got that rubber enclosure. So if you're like me and you like to flip the cap around, it's not gonna leave that annoying dent in your forehead. Bamboo Works sources its product materials in eco-friendly, sustainable manner. This goes beyond the apparel. They're focused on sustainability when it comes to production and their packaging. We're all trying to do our part to take care of the planet, but shouldn't we look good doing it? That's where Bamboo Works comes in. Visit BambooWorks.com, that's B-A-M-B-U-W-E-R-X.com to learn more, or head to 40,000steps.com to check out Bamboo Works' exclusive line of 40,000 Steps gear. Bamboo Works, skin-friendly, earth-safe, it's apparel for today's active lifestyle. Okay, with that, this is me chatting with my dear, dear friend, someone who I admire so very much, Miss Katie Mack. Should have been recording this the entire time. People need to hear the whole story, <laughs> warts and all. I will honestly say that I think the day that somebody, I was like, I am not a technology person. I don't get it. Fuck technology. You know, I don't understand. And basically my friend was like, working with technology means like stuff not working. <laughs> More or less. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, and actually that like made me feel good. 
Doesn't that sound appealing to be doing something where you're constantly troubleshooting and trying to get it to work? That just sound that doesn't sound terrible for our mental health at all. No, no, but except I really think right, it's just like anything else. It's like the expectation, right? If I'm expecting something to work and it doesn't work, it's like infuriating. But if I'm like not expecting it to work and then it works, it's like a victory. And then if if I if I'm expecting to run into trouble like every single time, and we can talk about this, and I talk about the show, then I then it's okay. Then like you know what I'm saying? Like it is. It's a little bit about. There's a lesson in there somewhere. What it is, I'm actually not sure. But right, (laughs) but it's like, but it's like things are just harder than you think they are, and give yourself grace. I I don't know something like that. You mentioned show that you talk about it in the show. Like you always have a number of projects going on. Which show are we talking about at this very moment? Oh, I was just talking about fucking sober because um, I did all the sound design for it, and that mm-hmm. is not a skill set that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was definitely. It was. It's like the epitome of. I knew I wanted to do a thing. I knew that I could could try to but it was going to be easier for me to learn how to do it which was going to be hard than it was for me to sit down and explain it to somebody and then Mm -hmm. it allowed me this whole other level which I thought was amazing but um which is basically to like all of the music and the sound from the show is um you know uh artists in recovery so I was able to really source that put stuff in last minute whatever but it was like I had to decide that I was going to learn this new skill that was not in my repertoire. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a brilliant podcast. And we're talking about Fucking Sober, the Webby Award winning Fucking Sober. Now, I mean, if people take if people t- <laughs> how good does that feel to be able to say that something you created is so good? Because I don't know about you, but like. I really like my podcast, but I can't say that out loud to other people. I really like your podcast too, and you can say it aloud to me. Aw, this is a safe space. (laughs) It should be. But people, like if people glance at your website and and they see, or they follow you on Instagram and they see all the various things that you're doing, you went right to fucking sober. Like that's something that, I mean, tell me about why that, why you would go there first. Is that one of the things that you're most proud of? Well, fucking sober is really cool for me because I am an, I'm a theater artist. Um, I am not really a TV and film person. It's just really not, you know, again, you know, it's like six in one, like someone gives me the opportunity and like, I'm not going to say no. And I haven't said no to other TV and film opportunities, but I'm just, it's not the pursuit. It's not what I've been putting my time and energy in. And I, I really have been a theater artist um, and live performance artist for the past 12 years. And a personal trainer and an iron woman. And I mean, it's, you're again, amazing. You're so, it, your research a, is so good. I got to do my homework, you know? Professional researcher. No, I, yeah, I mean, there, there, I found these other niches and these things that keep me whole, but, uh, but, but, the thing about uh, the, the thing about theater and live performance that is so amazing is that it is ephemeral. Like you know, you you it, it, it happens at the moment, then it disappears, right? So wait, is ephemeral forever? The opposite of ephemeral, whatever it is. It <laughs> what's what is it? We don't need degrees to do this stuff. You um, would think as a linguist that I would know this, but that's a word that is not in my regular lexicon. Yeah, if you're if you're listening to this show and you're waiting for the mistake, it just happened. But I will tell you, whatever it is, it's fleeting. The thing at the moment is fleeting. You see it, you have it, and then it's gone. So mm-hmm. stuff that lives in perpetuity just doesn't happen that much. So when I made Fucking Sober, Fucking Sober really is the first thing I've made intentionally to live in perpetuity. Like, you know, you can listen to it at any point. It's a time capsule, meaning it was made like during the pandemic. Um, it doesn't talk about the pandemic sobriety, but it it was made during a time in which people were listening in, especially in, in the recovery world, like kind of really uh, excited and interested in uh, other recovery resources. And um, and really uh, the thing that, that makes it, you know, what it is, is narrative storytelling in podcasting is not new. It's actually, you know, something I've been listening to. Like one of the reasons why I might have an ear for it is because I've been listening to it my whole life. This American Life, Moth, 
Um, you know, any of the NPR series, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, uh, Prayer Home Companion, those aren't, you know, necessarily nar all narrative forms, but, you know, they really are storytelling. Um, those are all things I grew up on. Uh, but in the recovery space, right, quite niche, we don't really have anything. Um, we don't have anything at this moment, unless I, I would love to hear that more people are doing it. Um, just stories specifically about recovery. And we can see it now on like TV stories about recovery. Like we even had like moms and, you know, a lot of, you know, short series shows are sort of about recovery or substance abuse. So, and even now we have single drunk female, which is like very specific, like early sobriety. Um, you know, we see it in the, in the uh, TV and film space. Um, but we just hadn't seen it in the podcasting narrative world. So very, again, very specific. But the thing that's cool about it is that kind of nobody had done it in that space and that specific niche yet. What, one, one thing that's interesting is, is you mentioned early recovery. Like I know for you, you're, you're what, roughly three years sober, something to that effect? Yes, I will be, God willing, three on October 6th of this year, baby. I can't believe October it's right 6th? around the corner. Holy yes. shit. So like three days after this drops. Well, I, I like that you qualify it as we have to get there first, but yeah, in advance, I will follow up on this and I will, and I will wish you, <laughs> I will, I will send you a virtual digital chip and congratulate you. Oh, I will love that. When you dove into fucking sober by a lot of people's measures, and maybe I'm talking about like guys from Boston AA, uh, like you were just a wee baby in your recovery at that point. Well, yes and no, right? I mean, there there comes a certain point. So I'm actually, this is not discussed in Fucking Sober. So Fucking Sober for, you know, spoiler, not spoiler alert, but here's a little insider tip, is all of my story. So Anita Drake is the name of the main character. Uh, it sounds like Anita Drink, I need a drink. Yeah, okay, cool. It's my only personal dad <laughs> joke. But my, my middle name is Anita. So... Uh, we just, it's, it, she's not far from me, but I, giving her a different name versus my name, uh, gives me a little poetic licensing, um, allows me to remove myself from her. And also I really get to say like, you know, like, these are my stories and this all happened, but it didn't happen in that order and maybe didn't happen in that way. Um, but all of the stories are rooted in truth. Um, but it is entertainment. However, uh, my story begins much, much, much earlier. Um, I had been drinking and drugging since I was 10 or 11. Um, very, very normal for a lot of people. Um, but I became a heroin addict, uh, a functioning heroin addict by the time I was like 17, 18, 19, 20, up until I was 25. So the first time that I was ever in AA or NA was court mandated after a DWI, um, where I had been using many, many substances at the time. And that was my first sort of introduction um, to what the, these spaces might look like. So then I later, you know, went to NA meetings and then I got clean when I was 25 from heroin, but used everything else. Um, I've been in and out of these spaces for, uh, you know, either re required, um, maybe, uh, literal moments to like get something to eat and have a cup of coffee. Uh, mm -hmm. cause I knew there were resources and I had been, trying to i had been going through bouts of recovery so i had get like you know year and a half a year six months another year you know like basically since i was 25 right now i am 36 um i i i haven't accumulated more than a year and a half until this bout i i want to like i want to drop this in here there's a phrase that i use a lot I subscribe to the idea that recovery is cumulative rather than consecutive. Yeah, yeah. As as you're describing, you have a whole wealth of knowledge of this journey and the fact that it's not fucking linear. Uh, it's virtually never linear. I think that is really, yeah, that's the important point for me that like it really is, um, it's an accumulation. And for me, like really the last time I went out, I wasn't even working on my qualification. It was just, it really was like, it was just, I would literally, I was that person who would go to bars and tell people I was an alcoholic and in AA while I was drinking. Like, mm -hmm. we know those people. Like, I was that person. I knew I couldn't drink. I knew I couldn't drink. I knew I was in trouble. Um, and even when I was working, so when I was, even had started writing Fucking Sober, I was drinking. So it actually didn't happen overnight. I had been working on Fucking Sober since 2017. Uh, fucking sober and you know not diligently so um, you know don't worry it doesn't 
it doesn't have to take that long to make something. Uh, but maybe while battling some sort of addictions and relationships and mental health stuff and whatever, I really didn't get it off the ground really until, you know, I didn't have a, a completed eight episode, uh, eight episodes written until 2020, J- July 2020, and then released the first episode um, Thanksgiving, November 2020. I think that there's a lot of people to the one of the points that that I think we have a chance to drive home here is like when I first started the podcast and I was kind of making some pals around the the recovery podcasting scene like there were a couple of folks who would ask me like how how many days you got how many years you got because they they have this threshold where like you had to have a certain amount of time before they would have you on their podcast or like really even like mm. associate with you so I think that, uh, I mean, how much, how, how toxic is that, that people like put up barriers? I mean, to me, that's what keeps a lot of people in addiction, especially if they relapse. It's like, oh, well, fuck it. You know, all is lost. It's, it's, it's maddening to me. I mean, I really, I, I have learned a lot from the, from the online recovery spaces because I really am uh, an AA baby. I mean, like for me, one of the reasons why when I would accumulate six months and then I guess I could call it a slip, you know, it's quite conscious. Um, I, I couldn't go back for X number of time and I would sort of like, you know, I was in New York City and so I would like then find a different home group in a different part of the city. Like I wouldn't see those people ever again um, or was very, very, very embarrassed if I ran into somebody. Um, you know, it really is, there are two lenses and I kind of love it through the, through the lens of harm reduction of like, if I'm going back and leaving and going back and leaving, going back, it's probably going to keep me alive a lot longer than if I'm just like on the straight, like straight, like path to destruction and using and never, ever, ever having any understanding of another option. However, I will say that in terms of my mental health and sanity and, um, uh, like like of myself and uh, just like being calmer and happier in my skin. Uh, it is a direct one-to-one to how long I have been working a program um, and how long I have felt safe in a community. And also, ten, you know, also like in that same road, you know, um, how long I've been clean. So I don't think that it needs to be coveted. Like I really think you say like the thing, it's like really toxic. Um, but I do look at uh, people who bounce in, in and out of the rooms with a certain lens of like, I'm so glad you're here. I wish you'd stay, you know, like yeah. there's something about it. Because I do feel like the staying can calm the nervous system. It's almost like just a decision. It's like getting, you know, I don't know, in some lenses, it's like, you know, making a decision to, to be someone's friend or making a decision to maybe be in a romantic relationship. Or it's just like there's some staying power to making a decision to do so that then opens other doors. So yeah, yeah, I, I like really, I mean, I, I, I advocate for longer term sobriety and um, I think we all do, but oh, of uh, course, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. I feel like there, I feel like there's nothing wrong with having the carrot of a chip. I, what I don't like is it's like, well, if you can't get the carrot, then you can't eat, then you can't, you can't have dinner with us. No. Right? And I, and it really is interesting. No, it's a really good point. Like, I wonder what it is like for me, I can't imagine me saying or trying to make somebody who is new in the rooms feel that way. I also can't control what they hear. And there's certain messaging, right? That like they might hear as if you're not perfect, don't come back, right? Right. Um, oh right, yeah, oftentimes I, I, that's an yeah. us problem, not the people who are saying sure. it, right? <laughs> yeah, but then also like just like any good program that is meant uh, to, you know, for all good things to happen, like, you know, there's a lot of problems with AA and there's a lot of problems, like apply anything universally, like a diet universally or an exercise universally or whatever, uh, a way to be universally, it just doesn't work. So, but I really think like, you know, where we get in trouble is by negating any other ways that like obviously have helped people. Like in the yeah. same way of exercise, it's like there's, there's like Pilates, there's CrossFit, there's, you know, move 20 minutes every day, there's walk 10,000 steps and people are living long and being happy and healthy and reaching their like physique goals, however they do it, or like you, like a mil- you know, running 400,000 steps <laughs> or whatever, like, um, like, all, like, you know, happy and healthy. Uh, I, and, and they're all, they're all valid, you know, in terms of getting somebody healthy. Um, if it works, it works. 
If I ran a steady pace, 400,000 steps would be 262 miles. That's oh like gosh, a so Catra Corbett feat that I do not aspire to achieve. In <laughs> fact, it was at the turn of the year where I decided, okay, I, I technically have an ultra under my belt. I did a 50K. You're was, so cool. Well, <laughs> it's so cool. Well, I mean, you know, we can smell our own. I mean, you, you're so cool as well. I was going to mention that, like, I got through the turn of the year and it was like, I need to be proactive and protect my joints. So it's like, I'm going to start swimming and doing the triathlon mm. thing. So I'm so glad that, that you brought up exercise as part of a program. Like, you've been a personal trainer for like 10 years, right? Did I see that? Yeah, they, my... So basically out of my addiction where I worked in like the restaurant industry, I discovered acting more or less by accident. And I sort of realized that I needed to, um, I needed to choose one thing or the other. I couldn't be in active addiction and look at somebody and have a conversation with them in the eyes, right? We hide, hide, hide. And I, uh, a lot of acting is being honest and not hiding. So that's like some basics. And I sort of chose not wanting to hide, but as you know, I could, drink and drug, you know, afterwards without any problems, you know, performances and classes and what have you. And often, you know, during and before, and I can sort of get away with stuff. But um, I say that to say that I, as I made this big pivot, I went from working in nightclubs to basically one, this is going to be very familiar to any addict, 180 my life. And I became a personal trainer. So instead of going to bed at four in the morning, I was waking up at like 4.30 in the morning so I could be, you know, go to work by six. So... It really was just like this giant overhaul. Um, I hadn't really changed my habits too much yet, but um, I thought I was being healthier and, you know, uh, but I learned a lot. You know, it really, I have this thing I call a parallel career. My personal training life is not my day job. I'm not trying to work myself out of my day job. I love being a personal trainer. I love it. It makes me really, really happy. It's like my way of being in service while also making money. Uh, and it's it really is a never ending um, way of like having compassion, learning skills. Uh, I don't, every single person, it's called personal training because it's personal to everyone. That's exactly where I was gonna go with this, yeah. Because uh, I love how you refer to the body as a joy temple. And how it's just important that we move our bodies and use your body. I saw that and just like I smiled for like the next half hour. It was just like, yeah, you know, if we're just using this damn thing and moving, it's so good for our mental health. Now, what I what I have to think is cool about that, because we're talking about that recovery is not one size fits all. Like how yeah. rewarding is it to, to work with a client and identify what their passions are? Like maybe they're not into Pilates. Maybe they just want to be able to walk around the block, right. you know. And to me, it's like, you know, for us, it's a recovery program. But to me, a recovery program is more of a let's maximize this fucking time we have on the planet plan and let's be I our happiest that. selves. Uh, so, I mean, how rewarding is that when you're able to tap into somebody's passions and see that they actually enjoy exercise, something that they might not have enjoyed before? Yeah, I mean, I can't say it is one size fits all at all in terms of exercise is enjoyable for everybody. Um, but I do think, right, like, you know, I, I learned in AA, move a muscle, change a thought. And then, you know, what are the ways that we can advance that? So like consciously move a muscle, consciously change a thought maybe, or like, you know, having these like goals where you can challenge yourself, uh, and you're, you're able to meet them again, it's just like really, uh, affirming into who you are. Like it reaffirms that you are someone that can do hard things, which I think we all have the sneaking suspicion that one, we're a piece of shit, we can't do anything. And that two, that we have this ability to do hard things. And we sort of vacillate. And anytime we can be like put a marker in that we can do hard things, kind of Glennon Doyle like vibe, I in any <laughs> facet of like, we can cook a hard meal, we can, you know, go on a long walk, we can do something physically challenging, uh, we can play with our grandkids. Anytime that we can show up for others and ourselves in all these different ways and physically being one of them, we get to like put like a, uh, like a chalk mark in the we can do hard things pile. And then it's harder for us to call ourselves pieces of shit. So I think it's, it really is, it can actually be quite like an intuitive thing to do. It ends up being a skill set that people have that they then have for life, which I think like really, really, really maximizes the training and for me like brings a lot of value. And at the end of the day for me, one of the reasons why I started is because 
I wanted to be a stunt person and I wasn't strong enough. And as I learned more about the body, um, I realized that this is gonna be really beneficial for the rest of my life. And that even if I ended up not translating it to other people as a direct one-to-one, -one, um, I would have it as a skill. And you know, for me, I, if I don't, if, if I really don't move my body, I, I don't do well. Um, and that, yeah, my brain doesn't do well. So you, you completed a half Ironman. I did. And this was, I mean, this was an opportunity for you to say, yes, I did a hard thing. But it was also really deeply personal for you. Like, like how different was that from some of the other things that you've achieved? Yeah, so this Ironman, uh, uh, this half Ironman was a result of a good, so an ex-boyfriend of mine and I reconnected after we both went through these two big breakups. We thought like the breakups of our adulthood and we reconnected. <laughs> was it romantic? I don't know. Maybe just two people like were like um, complaining to each other who had known each other in this very intimate way. And we would just like talk on the phone for hours and hours. We're reconnecting. He helped me work on a show. And we were talking about like the things that we wanted to do, um, you know, kind of with the rest of the time on the planet. And he's like, we well, you know, like, we're like, you know, you kind of, I think like eighth graders talking on the phone, like, what do you want? To, like, what do you want to do? But like, what do you want to do? And we were talking about art. And I sort of said, I thought that like running an Ironman, uh, doing an Ironman uh, would be a really great combination of both like how I see like solo performance art in terms of like challenging the body and also like, I I wonder if I can do it. You know, I'm 36 years old. I don't have any kids to take care of. I'm not planning on having kids. It, it requires a lot of time and attention to do all that stuff. So for me, I thought it was like a good time. And he was like, and I also, of course, like through the arts lens, I think it's like, I thought this, I, I thought that running an Ironman was like another performance art piece. That's a whole other oh, thing. Oh, totally. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so we had this conversation and he was like, you're going to do it. And then he got murdered, uh, which is like, you know, just a really crazy tangent to a story. Like what um, this, this human being who's probably one of the most influential people in my life in terms of developing me as a young artist, um, kind of figuring out, uh, he, he was the first person I went to AA for, uh, you know, and had become, he's one of the smartest people I know, um, got killed doing a really noble thing, like this kind of like epic like wild death uh, that is like almost like Greek. Um, he, you know, he probably is like, that was a pretty good way to go. Um, <laughs> I, I, I decided to run, I decided to follow through on my word and run this half Ironman in his hometown. And I basically spent, um, you know, the next eight months or nine months um, grieving him uh, with his friends, becoming friends with his friends, um, doing like performances. We did like um, uh, his friend set up a New Orleans jazz funeral march. He, we sort of called this year of mourning, which is happens in a lot of different religions and cultures. I leaned into this year of mourning and I could not have been more grateful to be sober during it. Um, he was not a sober person and his friends are not sober people. And to be so present was so incredible, but it was so painful. And uh, I got to, I, I, had, I knew I was gonna be traveling a lot and I committed to doing this thing and then I realized that every time I was gonna be training, it would kind of give me focus for the week. Like I knew I would have to do, you know, two hours of this, this day, you know, whatever, plan that. And then it would also, that time I would be spending with Eric. Yeah. So that was really special to me. And then uh, when I was in his hometown, uh, I stayed with his family in his childhood house, in his childhood bed with his mother and father, uh, mm. with his childhood best friends. And it was um, so special to like be run to bike, be biking along uh, the Galveston like highway and being like, this guy would, you know, drive down here to go to the beach, you know, growing up. And, um, be with his family, who is now my family. And I, I really, it, it was like not, it was for the first time, it was not a race. It was like just time to hang out with my friend. And um, it was just, it was beyond special. I mean, I, it you, was, yeah, really, really, really incredible. You keep referring to it as you ran 
a half Ironman. Does this, does this mean that the does this mean that the one point two mile swim was just so easy that you don't consider it part of the competition? I don't know why I say that. I think it's because running is my strong suit. Um, the 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 swim the swim comes and goes. The swim comes and goes. Uh, you'll be fine. I don't know. Like, wait, have you done an Ironman? A half Ironman? I have. Ironman? I have done a sprint, sprint? triathlon. Yeah, I was doing so. an Olympic. I was doing an Olympic this past weekend for the first time, and I blew a tire oh halfway through the bike. So, mm. and then I blew a tire last night on my way from Milwaukee to DeKalb, Illinois, for uh, this is my brave rehearsal. So this is I'm going through some serious like Murphy's Law level shit these days. Um, no, I'm excited so, for you. Literally, nothing can go wrong now. This is gonna be <laughs> right, right, yeah. It, it, you know the karma laundromat that is the universe. It's all up from here. Um, but no, that's to say that no, I've not done a half Ironman. I've, I've swam, you know, I, I've swam a mile in a pool. That's not an issue for me. But the idea of swimming 1.2 miles, uh, you know, out in open water is a whole other beast. It is so wild. The nervous system is so wild. Um, I was the only one who didn't do it in a wetsuit because I didn't want to rent one. And it was just warm enough that it was good. But I actually did a half Ironman a couple years ago, um, 2017. And I tried to get into like 50 degree water and I, it was the first time I wore a wetsuit and I was hungover. And I couldn't get my face in the water. And the joke is that I did backstroke for the first half. And there was a guy who was like on a, uh, like on a surfboard making sure people didn't drown. Mm -hmm. And I, he, I looked at him and I was like, it's all good, man. This is part of the plan. It's part of the plan. <laughs> and then finally I like turned around like, what was I going to do? And I was literally dreaming of, I like knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't stop because I, my friends had come to visit me because we were drinking the whole weekend and partying the whole weekend. And I knew I couldn't get out of the water. I hadn't earned my Bloody Mary yet. So, uh, yeah, really, I mean, I can say that like alcohol serves you until it doesn't, you know? Um, yeah. Right. But I, I sheer adrenaline, sheer everything. I ended up, it was a small race, but I ended up getting third place just by, you know, the, the swim is relatively short. So like just by biking like a happy little clam and then, you know, bopping <laughs> along and running and, you know, and, and so at the end of the race, I got to look at him, the guy who had made sure I didn't die. And I was like, I told you, man, it's all part of the plan. So <laughs> I, getting through the swim, getting through the swim might be the easiest part. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna grab onto that. And I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that into my practice the next time. All right, I got to take a moment, say a few words about some sponsors of 40,000 Steps Radio. I learned in rehab at Gateway Foundation that being an alcoholic didn't make me a bad person. It made me a sick person and no different than someone with cancer or diabetes. And during my time at Gateway, I started finally getting healthy again. Folks, we're living through stressful, unprecedented times, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with that stress and anxiety, it's stronger now than ever before. Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient, as well as virtual programs, so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your home. Don't wait to get the help you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. Hi, my name is Chelsea England and I'm the founder and director of MKE Overdose Prevention. Our mission is to make harm reduction tools and education accessible in all Milwaukee communities and foster safe spaces for conversations on recovery. After struggling with opiate addiction and being in recovery for many years, it became clear there is no one-size-fits-all program for people experiencing addiction. We respect everyone's journey to recovery, even if that doesn't mean absolute sobriety. 
We strive to provide our communities with the knowledge on staying proactive by ensuring every person has access to bodily autonomy and the healthcare tools that they need. Our trainings are tailored to communities, individuals, and businesses who are interested in learning how to use and carry life-saving tools like Narcan and fentanyl test strips. Our monthly community training takes place every first Tuesday of the month at the Daily Bird in River West. If you would like to learn more about us, get involved, or attend future events, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or email us directly at mkeoverdoseprevention at gmail.com. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email duibhs at gmail.com. All right, all right, all right. Back to our conversation with Miss Katie Mack. So I mentioned I mentioned this is my brave, and that was one ah. of the main reasons why I wanted to chat with you. How long ago was that? When did you do this is my brave? I, I might be making it up, but it was either 2016 or 2017 in New York City, and... I think it was 2017. I remember sitting in our training session for our show that's October 13th in DeKalb, and we were watching the training video, and you came out, and I was like, oh my God, I know her, even though I like <laughs> haven't met you. But, but I feel like I know you because, and you mentioned that I did my research before, but you are such an incredible follow because like, I didn't necessarily need to set out to do research. I set out to find inspiration because your vibe and the things that you put out there. I just can't imagine the number of people who it drives and who it connects with. Uh, but so I see you and I'm like, yeah, I fucking know Mac. There she is. I love her podcast. Yeah. And we've exchanged a, a, a few funny uh, messages over, uh, over Instagram. But I really got, it was really incredible to me to think of somebody who is so talented and seems, and seems so bulletproof like you do. Like there is that perception um, but I mean, and you shared how at that time you had already, you, you were already doing some stuff, but how this is my brave really opened you up. Well, for me, so I have been struggling with mental health, you know, and, and actually my mental health diagnosis was wrong at the time of doing this is my brave. Um, I, I have now, I used to be, I, I was diagnosed in the past with bipolar uh, and now I've been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which is it like changes the game, like just right. totally changes the game. And I am so grateful um, for this diagnosis. It really um, like, man, I'm, I'm so much happier. I, so I'm not no more medications. I do not recommend that for everybody at all or anybody at all. Um, but for me uh, to be on um, uh, medication for bipolar it was not the right thing for me with borderline with where I am in my life. Um, and the thing I was sober when I did, like I had been in and out of the rooms, like I told you, I was sober when I actually performed, um, uh, this is my brave. And so I thought I had sort of found my people when I was sitting in the rooms and very, very happy, um, you know, kind of teetering on the, the, a little bit of like, man, I wish I wasn't an alcoholic. Whereas like now I'm like so happy I'm an addict. Like I like love other addicts. I'm an addict. If you're not an addict, I'm not sure if you're for me. Um, like they're my people. <laughs> but I just remember like I, I saw the call. I was really excited. Um, this idea of like 
blasting stigma to me feels a lot like lip service in the real world. You know, like I feel like everyone's like, let's blast stigma, let's blast stigma. And I'm like, I don't really know what that means. Um, Or like, how do we, how do we normalize these things? And I, I just, I really liked the language of this is my brave. It seemed really approachable. And this idea of um, being able to write something, talk about my experience. It was pretty open-ended and, um, do it as a performance. is just like, it seems like the perfect little job for me, you know, like I can do that. And I was newer to writing and wanted to flex it. And, and my, my, uh, the piece that I had written is called I'm crazy. And it's about the, the kind of the good things about being crazy or the good things about being uh, bipolar and I thought that was my way of sort of like yes there's a lot of bad things don't get me wrong but we already know that and especially if you experience it like the dis like you know kind of like being disjointed from reality especially like when you're you know I, I, I again like my experiences have just been like sometimes I disassociate so hard um, or really like being so highly sensitive um, whatever those are all bad things but I was talking about the good stuff Right. And how it was a little bit kind of like a, a like you could you could date somebody who's normal or you could date someone who's crazy. <laughs> how cool that is. And I remember like and that was cool to write and the the feedback was very lovely, but um really the community was what really changed the game for me. Um again, the feedback that I got was so encouraging and so supportive and so loving from these other incredibly vulnerable, incredibly talented, incredibly smart human beings, not all performers, you know, just like Mm -hmm. artists in their own right, but not all performers or, you know, just really great, uh, like a strong desire to share. Uh, Same people like terrified of public speaking, terrified and so brave in their you know their desire to share and to actively break this thing that we call stigma um really humanize this mental health experience was like it was genuinely life-changing i mean and i had never sat in a room before where i mean we really did have a uh like silver linings playbook moment only it wasn't cute in a movie with like you know we're attractive in our own right but like you know bradley cooper you know, whatever. Um, but like these normal people sitting in a room having normal conversations about literally like NYU psych ward and literally like medications combinations. And then like I had to add addict on top of it. I was like, yo, let me tell you something. Never put Seroquel up your nose. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you it'll blow up your nose. You have an elephant nose, you know, because I'm an addict. So like I, I would I used to play the game like fine to put it up my nose. You know, so like it was and and it was just laughter and joy and everyone was so nervous, but there was no shame in being nervous. And and then this like giant crowd. I mean, it was really I remember leaving. I've said this before, I think to this is my brave. I remember leaving. We did it in this this beautiful uh, university hall, Um, but I walked across Central Park and I just felt so in myself so happy like I felt like there was no part I was hiding and I didn't even know that I had been but my whole life my whole life I have wanted to be normal just so badly like I just like I just wish I could be normal I wish I could be normal whatever that means right it's like an, an it's a moving stick right so I can never be normal um, right. but I, if and I uh there's a scene in the Fantastics, which is a play that used to that was on Broadway for a long time, where where I think her name is Luciana or something like that. Uh, that the main girl, the ingenue, says, "God, I never want to be normal." And I remember being like, "You little bitch." <laughs> Why? Because she never wanted to be normal because she was so ingenue, beautiful, normal, little normal. You know, oh. and I. And I wanted to have what she had, this desire to be so normal. I wanted to, you know, I, I, I wanted to be like everybody else. And I always felt like I was different. Now, I understand. Like, I don't have, like, you know, you guys can't see me, but, like, 
I don't have any like weird facial tics. Like my hair isn't like purple. Like I I look as normal as you know whatever. I, I it just I always felt very 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 different. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe and like I always and it was always negative. And that also has a lot to do with BPD. This borderline personality disorder. So like one of the characteristics is just like inherently like inherent low self esteem. I just always hated myself. But the way that it manifested was that I really liked other people because I hated myself so much. I just like loved other people so much. And that has really bled into my choices for the rest of my life. Um, I am happy with, you know, kind of how I pivoted my life with that information. Mm-hmm. And And to circle back to this is my brave, it really was, I was, it, it really was like such a powerful experience for me um, both as a performer, which is something I had been doing at the time for like a long time. Uh, I felt very comfortable doing that as a new writer, um, as somebody who was embracing their mental health sort of like stamp, um, whether or not that was good or bad at the time, deciding it was good. And really as a community member, um, which is something I didn't like, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in like a neighborhood like I grew up in a very kind of generic suburbs. Uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I did like sports, but when it comes to like community, community where like we all, uh, there's different age groups, different socioeconomic statuses, different interests. Um, I just really felt really loved and I loved yeah. everybody. Yeah, it yeah. was really, really special. <laughs> well, you talk about the pivot in terms of, right, it sounds like a shift from low self-esteem and not being particularly fond of yourself, but, but loving everyone else. I mean, where are you at today? Uh, how, how are this we doing with that? Such a good question. You know, I just think I, you know, there's a couple of things with it. It's like, ugh, it was like so exhausting not to like myself. It's just like mm-hmm. so boring and it kept me from doing a lot of things. Right. And so I just, instead of like deciding to like myself or like love myself and self-love culture, I just started to like, instead like ignore the not liking myself stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then it like allowed me to like go out or like all I'm really doing is like kind of playing pretend in a lot of ways. Like when I put on makeup and do my hair, maybe that makes me look more attractive, maybe not, but I've decided that it's going to. Because, like, I just, the other way is not fun, you know, Mm -hmm. or it's like, uh, if if I'm so concerned about, you know, reaching this thing, then I just don't get to have any fun. And Mm -hmm. so I just make the decision, like, it's like, if I'm sitting in a room, like, I could be talking to you this whole time, I could be like, oh my God, homeboy thinks I am so dumb. (laughs) But, like, that's not fun. And so I've just decided that like, you don't think I'm so dumb. I, you don't, I don't sit here and think like, oh man, he thinks I'm a genius. But I do think like, oh yeah, he likes me enough to like have me on the podcast and like, let's talk and have a good time. Cause that's way yeah. more fun. Yeah, so you, you've chosen to not waste your energy, more or less. To not, yeah, to not waste and, your energy on the negative self-talk. And it just, it really has a lot of, it has been leaping before I'm ready. So it's like, I have had a really like, you know, I'll be dating and I'll be like, I look like shit and I feel like shit and I am a shit person, like whatever that self-talk is. Mm -hmm. But then I don't get to go out with this really cool, interesting person across from me. Yeah. And you know what, really for me, the recovery community, the online recovery community, like shifted the language, which is I get to, right? Like not using, not drinking, I get to do all these things Mm. in my life. Yes, it, yes. It, is, it is huge, that mind shift. And I feel that way about mental health too. Yeah, it's a matter of choosing what you want rather than constantly running away from what didn't work for you. Like, like Rather than running away from what you don't like or what hurt, it's a matter of, like, of choosing, okay, what do I want? What am I going toward, right? So for you, what is that right now? Like what's coming up on what's coming up on the horizon? What are you working on? What's fun? It is just so weird. So right now I'm in the middle of associate producing a show called What Kind of Woman? It basically uh, unpacks uh, a relationship between two women, a woman in her 30s and a woman in her 60s. And um, they sort of butt heads on this uh, a topic of women's rights and abortion 
which is very, very timely. So it's a two-hander play. We're workshopping it in Pittsburgh right now, and by the time this uh, episode airs, we'll be in New York City off-Broadway at The Cell. So we'll be running um, uh, from, I think, October 22nd through November 19th in New York City. Um, if you hear this and you want to come see it, I will get you a ticket. Find me on Instagram, send it to my DMs, and you got it, baby. Uh, that's how you know a producer. Uh, my powers are so flexed. Um, and really, I mean, I've been with this show for three years. Um, I did. I was a dramaturg for it, and then this company picked it up. It really is like, if you make it, they will come. And that's not even in this form. I'm not saying like, if you make it, you will have someone fully fund your show to produce it off Broadway. No, no, no. It really was with Abby, who is the playwright and one of my very good friends, Abby Tannenbaum. Um, you know, I had her put it on a shelf and be done with it to start working on her next thing. And that I really do believe that as as an artist, you really you cannot put all your eggs in one basket. You have to prove to people that you can make more than one thing, and that mm -hmm. keeps you from perfectionism, and that keeps you also continuing to hone this question of like, what is it that you have to say? Um, so I I I work with people to help them like birth their stories um, and and try to birth it as financially responsible and as painlessly as possible in, term, in terms of like a short period of time. So that's some of what I do for my freelancing job. Um, my own story, uh, I from this same company, um, Off the Wall, they're an incredible company based out of Pittsburgh um, and now moved recently to Iceland. They are, they've committed to producing my own solo show. Um, it's called Grieve Hard. Uh, Grieve Hard is basically an interactive show between me and my dead friend Eric, um, all on the internet. So I have clips of him via the internet. Um, we will interact with our phones. It is, ideally speaking, we'll be developing it over the next nine months, but it will be a performance with me and my phone and you and the audience, your phone, social media, and the internet, and my dead friend Eric. Oh. He doesn't know he's a part of it, but he yeah. knows he's part of it. Yeah, so it'll be virtual and live because that is the future of kind of live performance. And yeah. um, it is like kind of to me like the next steps of immersive theater. And it really is about grieving in the 2020s. You know, what is it? It's different than grieving in 2010, it's different than grieving in 2015. Grieving with access to the internet, social media is a very different response. And so, yeah, very, um, that's very that. dynamic, alive thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's still living. I mean, like, for me, Eric continues, I get to have more time with him than I would have in the 1800s because I have living, breathing videos and emails and text messages. Like I got a text message from him an hour and a half before he was killed. You know, I literally know what he was doing every single day before he was murdered. Um, and I have these living, breathing uh, interactions and videos and I continue to interact with them as anybody who's lost somebody uh, recently within the past, you know, five years, maybe even 10 years can do. Um, it is an incredible gift, but it's also, uh, it, it neither good nor bad, right? I'm not making the argument that the internet is good or that even having this contact, contact is good. I just think it is. And yeah. Yeah, it, for me, it has it's shaped the way I interact with death um, and uh, think about death. And so in this show, I sort of talk about my own, will we'll give me like a eulogy. Um, I will be chasing death. I will be running from death. I will learn how to do a naked backflip. Um, I will be uh, I kind of exploring our relationships with phones and self and... Um, yeah, we'll see where it ends up next fall, but it will be um, in Pittsburgh and uh, in a couple festivals and then we'll land in New York. I, I can't wait for that. That sounds totally rad. You know, I was really in it before this conversation, before we hopped on here. Uh, you know, I know we ran into some tech issues and part of like my knee jerk <laughs> was like, I just wanted to like crawl back into bed and just say, okay, life, you won, you kicked my ass thoroughly. You know, with all of these projects that you've got going on, oftentimes I have people who will say to me, well, if you're overwhelmed, if you're if you're stressed out, why do you keep doing it? Like you preach this idea of self-care and self-love and knowing how to establish boundaries, you know, but I tell people that, you know, as I'm doing all these things, like I'm perpetually filling my cup, 
you know, by yeah. doing this podcast. Is, is that the same case for you when people say to you, how the hell do you do all this stuff? Don't you get tired? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I really do co-sign on that. And I think like, like I understand how well-meaning people are when people say like, you need to slow down or take time for yourself. And I, and I think this, you know, there's a certain level of honesty right, that you need to have and I think that you gain by growing up and for me being sober and learning how to be sober and learning what it means to be honest, it really is like, am I tired because I'm doing something that I think I should be doing because I think I'm gonna get notoriety or I think I'm whatever, or am I doing this because, and this goes back to my other point, like, what is the other option? Not mm. doing it? I would be so fucking miserable right now if I wasn't talking to you, I guarantee it. If I just decided fuck it, I would be I would be all over myself in terms of like asking myself why I didn't figure out a way to make it happen. And that's 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 a horrible alternative to dealing with some tech shit and finding a way to make it work. I mean I, I think we all have a need to give us space to to like throw our computer across the room and hopefully you don't throw your computer across the room hopefully you put something close by that's cheaper and throw it across the room but we <laughs> all get to lose our fucking minds right like i really believe that we should have that space but i think like any time that we don't and we pivot we get to be reminded that we are resilient mm -hmm. and then we go back to that moment of almost throwing our computer and we go i'm more resilient than this they're all sober reference points that we can do these things. And, you know, like, yeah, stress is an accumulation. I mean, it, I mean, like if, you know, you get a, a funky phone call, you're on customer service, you have run into a tech issue, like, God damn it, that's a shitty morning, right? And even nobody has died. But, uh, but you know, I, I just think like it really is like, you'll handle what you can handle until you can't handle it anymore. I mean, like, how much did you handle while you were drinking and drugging and using, man? I could, right. I could handle a lot. So, I, again, I do find myself asking myself, like, a lot of times, and I try not to compare myself to anybody else, but who's in front of me today, not who I was. You know, I'm not, like, a lot of people, when we start training programs, compare themselves to who they were in high school. I'm like... Y'all be on hard tell you, but you 45, you ain't in high school no more. Like, you different. <laughs> so why don't you honor yourself now? And I go through modes where I am hyper creative and hyper pushing forward. And I go through times where I'm not. And it really is this thing of you, you're so clear. You're like, had we not done this, I would have felt like shit. But I did yeah. this and it feels good. And that is, you know, you just got to keep testing it. But at the end of the day, it's like, again, this is Eric language. Like, it's like either I could do the thing or not, not do the thing. No, no, I'm going to do the thing. I mean, it's like, I think it's like every time. It it's really the year is. of saying yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's the, it's the of lifetime yes. of saying yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but it's, it's beautiful. Like the other option sucks. So let's just do yeah. the good one. Like, you right. know, do the good option. Yeah. Yeah. Let's choose, choose the adventure, right? Yeah. Choose the adventure. I love that. Yeah. Well, well thank, thanks for nudging me, you know, and being like, thanks for not letting me off the hook and suggesting that we figure out a way to make this happen because this, this was, this was badly needed. Like me too. I found with the triathlon on Sunday when I blew my tire, it was like, Ugh. fuck, I needed a win. Like I really needed a win. I needed to be able to oh. say that I did something extraordinary, but today it's like, I didn't, I didn't realize until now, until we got into it, that it's like just choosing to do the thing for me was a win today. And I needed yeah. this win. So this, so this has been badass. Hell yeah. That's, that's, that is exactly <laughs> it. Again, like there's, there's some, it's more painful to stay still than it is to keep going. Even if you keep failing, like yeah. you're going to do another race and it's not even the race. You're going to keep training. I, I signed up for Pleasant Prairie. I signed up for another race did. like that that of afternoon. Did. <laughs> you, like, of course you did. And you know what else I did was I I, I immediately uh, figured out how to change a bike tire. It's like, I don't want to fucking feel this again. That's incredible. That's incredible. And again, that like, now you just have another skill. I mean, that's it. Yeah. And it may not come in handy for you, but I bet you like some other homeboy is going to like blow their tire and you're going to be the one to change it. And that is going to be, that's, that's mm. going to be wild. You know, your time will be less. You'll show up for somebody else because you did the work for yourself. That'll be wild. <laughs> I can't wait for that story. Yeah. Well, this has been great. This has been terrific. So Truly. thanks so much for joining me.
Thank you so much for having me. And I know we've been trying to do this for a while. I'm a big fan of you and your podcast. And I just, I know that like life is not linear and not easy. And you're like a perfect example of what happens when you just keep pushing through. So thank you. Oh, it's a mutual admiration society. You know, you know, we, we all lift each other up. So thanks so much and keep being awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. We'll keep in touch. Yeah. And good luck with this is my brave. If you are planning on going to see it, like go. You know, because what's the other option? Not going. We already decided to choose the adventure. But if you were thinking, <laughs> I don't know if you are going to go, I promise you, it's like so inspiring. So this is my plug for you. You just you just busted the fourth wall. You just kicked the shit out of the fourth wall and spoke directly to the to the audience. I love that. Bro, this is what I do. This is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Be well. Bye. Oh, you too. Cheers. Bye. All right, are you squarely on the fence as you're trying to make a decision whether to do something? Do it. Choose the adventure. You're gonna grow. It might hurt a little bit, but choose the adventure. <laughs> That's why we're here, baby. All right, thank you so much to Katie Mack for joining me on the podcast. What an absolute pleasure. What an incredible human being. And thank you to all of you out there who listen. Please do me a huge subscribe to the podcast. That way every Tuesday morning you get that bing letting you know who's on the podcast that week. Share the podcast. Give it a rating. Give it a review. That helps the podcast get into more ears so we can keep building this community together. Folks, until we catch up next time, please remember that if it feels like things are falling apart outside this space, right here we are always coming together. Spread love. Take care of yourself. Be excellent to each other. Peace. We out.